Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and health to members of our middle school communities. Take a walk with co-hosts Phyllis Fagel and Joe Mazza as they discuss self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education and is designed to support the concepts outlined in our foundational text, The Successful Middle School, This We Believe. Learn more at amle.org. Today's episode, Resilience is Teachable. Hey, Phyllis, how's it going? It's going well. It's Friday afternoon, so no complaints. Yeah, I'm tired. Are you tired? I'm tired, but you know what? The guest that we have today, um, I've been following her for longer than I've been a principal. Uh, And when I knew I was going to become a father, I went out and little did I know I would know her a couple of years later, but I went out and got her parenting book. And, um, you know, I, I, it was a great book, but I don't know that I'm being a great parent as I get older and older. And I have four kids, nine, seven, five and five, but um, Dr. Michelle Borba, Uh, is here with us today. Hello, Michelle. Oh my gosh, Joe. Hello to you and hi, Phyllis. This is too fun. Yeah, no, I think you have two of your biggest fans interviewing you today (laughs) for sure. I feel like, gosh, just about the introduction 40 years later. Hey, Joe, how you doing? (laughs) But we're making it. We're making it. We're doing it. Phyllis, I, you know, when I was doing my dissertation on family community engagement and, you know, talking to, you know, Karen Mapp and, and Ann Henderson and whatnot and, and doing all this research, you know, Michelle came on the PT chat, um, parent teacher chat. And I was telling you, it was like 250 straight Wednesday nights from nine to 10 o'clock. And I think Michelle came on a couple of times and she's one of the best tweeters out there. So she could keep up. And this was like before, like Tweet Deck was doing its thing. So. Um, it's just great to have somebody here that not only gets the work from the school level, you being a special ed teacher, I believe for 20 something years, but also from a parenting lens. So, um, we're going to get into the Thrivers book today. And and we're also going to talk about, you know, as we kind of come out, I'm afraid to say it, but come out of this pandemic because our numbers look so good compared to where they were a month ago. Um, and, um, I know we're going to learn a lot from you. So thanks for being with us today, Michelle. Oh, you are so welcome. I know that we could talk for a really long time about building kids resilience and go really high level, but I'm hoping that today we can offer some really concrete strategies to teachers, because I think that's where we are. How do we help these kids? And if you were to put your teacher hat on and walk into a classroom, but with the knowledge you have today, with all the research on resilience and what we need to do to help kids thrive, what would you advise teachers to do? What would you do yourself to help kids right now? I think the first thing is we've got to realize that resilience is teachable, and we have to realize that that is probably the foremost attribute that kids need in today's uncertain world. That said, teacher, this does not mean it's one new program. It's not a fancy tutor, and it's not one more thing that I have to add to the plate. I walk into classrooms all the time, and I realize we're already doing it. We may not be saying we are, but the first thing is we're caring. We're concerned. We're connecting with kids and there isn't a piece of research on resilience that doesn't say that that is the critical beginning piece. Other than caring and connected though, we know that we're dealing with a pandemic generation who has been kind of helicoptered before. They were hovered too much before. They were coddled too much before. And the single greatest trait I see of a resilient kid is they have agency. 
It's an I do it. I got it kind of an attitude. So keep doing the problem solving strategies, teacher, because the kid needs to be able to stand up for his own self. Ask him, what do you think? Raise your hand, speak out, empower our kids. All of that is absolutely critical. And then look for what does the kid really need? When I, when I see the children of the pandemic generation, particularly the middle school, I'd say a lot more empathy because it's nose diving. They haven't had the face-to-face connection. They've been social distance too much and social anxiety is up and coping skills. Oh, for heaven's sakes, let's teach them coping skills. But middle school's kid says, you're doing something wrong. What are we doing wrong? You don't just teach us mindfulness. You give, them, give us a repertoire of stuff and then let us choose what works for us. And then make us practice it until we can do it without you. Greatest advice, middle school. I love that. And I I love the idea of having the kids get to choose which strategies work for them. That's something that I like to do too, where you create a toolbox. Yeah. I, I found that it's not just the strategies themselves that help them, but the fact that they know that they have things at their fingertips, they can, they can help themselves when they're struggling. The kids who are maybe they took a hit to their confidence. Yep. Maybe they came back and we know middle schoolers are insecure anyway, but maybe they came back and it's even harder to take a risk in the classroom, maybe even hard to get started or they're perfectionist. It can show up in so many different ways. Are there specific things that maybe students who do have learning challenges or attentional challenges or are accustomed to coping with anxiety might be able to offer to, to neurotypical kids who haven't had to draw from those strategies, but might now need something similar? Yeah, I think the first thing we're all recognizing, every teacher I talk to is a little bit of regression in terms of behavior, in terms of attention span, focusing, learning, it's all going backwards and it's predictable. Expect it. When you've had all this fear and you really are concerned, you don't have the foundation for it. So you put on your special needs hat and you look at what did we used to do that helped that challenged child. The first thing is our expectations. We didn't start five levels above. We did what I call a rubber band stretching technique. You figure out what the kid is really capable of. You start there and you gently keep stretching that rubber band without snapping. So slow little increments that'll start building the kid's confidence. Too high, he just gives up too low, he gets bored and says, they don't believe I can do it. The second thing I see is what I call a a find your stumbler. I I had this music teacher in my life named Mr. White, who I hated because what he'd make me do is play until I made a mistake. And if you made a mistake, even if you were almost to the end, you got to start all over again. I hated music. Bless Mrs. Thompson, my next music teacher, because she did the best teaching technique. She'd say, what's the one little stumbler, Michelle? What's the one little thing that's getting in your way? Let's find that stumbler. And we'd practice the one bar over and over till my confidence would go up. Then I wasn't worried about it. And then I'd start and just free flow through. Same with many kids. They're overwhelmed with the whole math paper. When in reality, it's just maybe that first row or the third problem. Find the one little thing and then help them practice, practice until they get better at it. Keep stretching and then do what old Carol Dweck would tell you to do. Don't keep praising the end product. Praise that you did it. And your goal is to keep going a little one step more and one step more and reframe success in your classroom as a G-A-I-N gain. Yesterday you were here, today you're here, and there's where we keep on going. Michelle, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, what teachers can do to, to, to build agency, you know, and then there's a lot of little things that often get overlooked, you know, for example, 
you know, the class starts and teachers meeting the student at the hallway, you know, to, to not only like be able to supervise, but also to greet them as they come in. You know, what are some of these other just little things that are often overlooked that teachers can be doing right now and might not even have anything to do with the pandemic? But just again, well, as we continue to like reconnect with what we used to do now that the numbers are down and we can kind of start to get back to what we do. Oh, I love that. this. Uh, everything in Thrivers was trying to figure out the simple, and Madsen calls it ordinary magic. Simple little ordinary things make the biggest difference in terms of resilience. For instance, a risk adverse kid. They are right now. They're afraid to think outside the box. So what the research would say is, here's the question. Take a moment, put it on your, I don't care what you've got, a smart board or write it on an index card. What's the one little thing you want to say? That actually builds confidence. They're more likely to say it. Mary Bud Rowe, brilliant. She'd say, ask the question, but don't speak so quickly. The average kid needs at least three seconds of wait time in order to get the confidence to open up. If you wait a little longer, give silence permission. Kids, even the, the kid who's not going to say anything is more likely to at least say something. And the kid who would have said something is going to give you a dissertation. So wait time can be critical. And then look for the kid who's really struggling. Uh, the child who's afraid to let you know he's struggling and within seconds, he's going to be the basket case. And so maybe it's pull that kid aside and say, you know what? I know it's hard. So here's what you're going to do. Here's a special pen. And I'd always give like a special pen that we just the one in a kind. As soon as it looks like you're having a tough time, just put the pen on your desk. Nobody but you and me will know. And that's my signal to say, you need a little more time and I'll help you. They need dignity. They need to know that they're about ready to decompress, but too often we're waiting for the kid to fall outside the box and let's help them by dignifying it. Little things that become rituals. I love that not only because it allows them to preserve their dignity while asking for help, but just that going back to where you started with this idea of caring, being so yeah. critical, it yeah. shows that you care. You're not only noticing that they're struggling or predicting that they're going to perhaps need extra help, but you're giving them this special pen, something that's yeah. just for them. You know, one of the best ideas, uh, teachers have such brilliant ideas, but these were, these were two sixth grade teachers who had a kid in each one of their classrooms that was just really pushing them to the brink. And so I said, so what did you decide to do? She said, we bought white staplers. And I went, oh my gosh, what are you doing with a white stapler? She said, we have a pack. The pack is if one of those kids comes into your room with a white stapler, fending like, I need more staplers, in reality, it means, can you just take them for three minutes until I get my own act together? And then, thank you, I need a breathing space. And then we, the child can come back in. Sometimes it's two teachers buddying up together to have their own signal to be able to help themselves as well as kids. Everybody right now is on the irritability level. Their stress is high and they're not going to be able to perform their best. So let's give them, figure out what we can do ahead of time. That's brilliant. I need a white stapler. <laughs> white stapler. Uh, it speaks to like, you know, the pre-planning of this is yes. expected. This is going to happen. Like, like you said, like it's inevitable. You know, all, adults are kind of at the end of its stamina, right? It's stamina at this point, you know, and, and the whole efficacy of the staff, you know, and working together, how do we support each other with some of these little tricks, you know, that, that are really clever, but you know, that three minutes is huge, you know, you know, for that particular teacher, for that class, you know, to have a moment, you know, so to speak. 
There's a program, I think it's Nashville. I may have the wrong city, but it's called Tap In, Tap Out. And it was started at an elementary school that had a high needs population. This was long before the pandemic. And they had teachers who had complimentary schedules, trade text numbers, so that if one of them needed a break, they would text that friend, that colleague who would come in and step in for them. Yes. And what was so fascinating about the research is that after about six weeks of this buddying happening, they no longer needed the break. The magic was just in knowing there was someone they could call if they needed that support. Don't you love that? I had an incredible principal in my life. His name was Jack Smith. And what he'd do was allow us to open up about a kid who was driving us to the brink. But instead it was, let's figure out what's positive. What can we do? How can we support each other? But the other thing was incredible is that he also brought in the custodian and the secretary who very often knew the kid better than even we did. And what we did is we started, uh, we became what we would call chapter one in Thrivers is you got to start with the confidence level. So become a talent scout, figure out what the child's strength is instead of fixing it. Uh, I just dealt with a school uh, last night uh, that was incredible. It was Eagle Creek, real high, uh, struggling children with learning disabilities. And every day before school starts, there's a half hour meeting with just a few teachers, not the same ones each day, but a different two or three each time. And what they do is they get together they figure out what's one child that they worried about. And what they do is figure out how we can work together to figure out the kids' strengths and go for the asset building. I just love that. The, the headmaster said it changed the whole tone in the school climate. Instead of let's all get burned out, let's figure out how to work together and support each other. I know very few kids who actually do better because someone told them that they're lacking in some yeah. way. No yeah. one does better on a test because they hear that the stakes are high. Nobody performs better because yeah. someone tells them they're not enough as they are. So I think that's really brilliant and, and just a good way of firming up the relationship too with the child. So that they One of the things you. that I heard you say, uh, Michelle, is, you know, including the custodian or the secretary it might not be. You know, we're talking trusted adults and people that really have that relationship might not be the classroom teacher, might not be the counselor, yep. might not be the advisor. So, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you know, when we have trainings for staff as it relates to equity, inclusion, you know, it needs to be all staff. Right. Yep. It can't just be the 50 teachers. It's got to be the other 40 support staff and custodians. Anybody that has an opportunity to interact with a kid, you know, it needs to be the same message. You know, I think we. I think we omit some folks that are really important or could be important if they had the right training. Oh, I, I love that. It's the village effect. And I, I got started in this whole concept by reading one book by one woman who changed my life. Her name was Emmy Werner. She wondered, was there really hope for some of those kids in our classrooms that are so impoverished, so domestic violence, abused children, is there hope? What she did is she started studying those kids on the island of Kauai, and she continued to study them for 40 years. 10 years into the study, she was blown away because one third of them were caring, competent, confident, they were doing fine. And then she said, how could that be? When she did is she started looking back on their background and found that was always one caring champion, if not the parent, it was the teacher, if not the teacher, it was the custodian, the bus driver, the uh, just the crossing guard. 
everybody can make a difference on a life of a child. And that's what was the impetus when I wrote Thrivers. I said, we can do this. We have got to do this with today's generation of kids. It's the lighthouse effect. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you've seen that book, but I was talking to um, the author of, of that book and he was talking about what it was like to grow up as a foster child, really, his name is Steve Pemberton. Mm -hmm. And he grew up in a really abusive situation. And he ended up, you know, becoming a really accomplished professional. And in the book, he talks about the people who were his lighthouses, the people who shone a light on a different direction that his life could take. And one of the people that he talked about was a neighbor who didn't have much money, uh, didn't have any reason to invest in him in particular. But one of the things she would do is just give him books, all of her mm -hmm. kids' books that they had already read, dozens and dozens of books. And it changed the course of his life. It just showed him a different possible journey that he could take. Phyllis, I, after reading Emmy Werner, I had gone home to my house when I was a sophomore in college and my dad was pacing. He was so upset. This is a guy who's a superintendent, uh, a writer, calm and cool. And he was holding a Newsweek magazine and live it. The front of it said the first three years of child's life, make it or break it. He said, look at this, Michelle. If this were true, don't buy into it. I'd be dead today. I knew nothing about my father because uh, his background, he'd hit it. But it turns out his parents were impoverished, didn't speak English. His dad died when he was two. He was put in an orphanage. He said from that moment on, the only reason he was able to thrive, the nuns were empathetic. When he was released, it was the guy next door who gave him extra money and taught him how to, how to persevere with the lawnmower. He uh, had uh, the... Oh, the librarian snuck him library books. The, uh, the, uh, the English teacher said, Danny, let's teach you how to read. His proudest moment was graduating full scholarship from, from uh, Berkeley and Stanford to go back and say, thank you, because it's all of those strangers who wow. just coddled him and, and say, you got it, Danny. And that's when I realized those were the traits of thrivers. Same ones, they're teachable, and we've got to add them to our teaching agenda. Simple ways, we can weave it in. But in this generation, we must, if we're going to help a generation thrive. Michelle, um, you know, parents, you know, some of our middle school teachers are parents of middle schoolers, you know, high schoolers, kids that are almost in middle school. Um, you know, take your thrivers, your, your, your mindset, you know, focus, you know, the self-confidence, empathy, self-control, integrity, you know, what does this mean for parents? You know, what, what can we hope parents um, can support us, partner with us as we kind of come out of this pandemic? Number one, we must partner. We must partner together because we can't do any of this alone. Parents, we need a new parenting toolkit. The best research I ever read was uh, by the fact that when we looked at parents who were really negative and feeling like they couldn't make a difference, what they discovered when they interviewed the parent is why and that because they didn't think they could make a difference on their child's life. So they also told us that we educators were doing something wrong. We were trying to give them too much information. So when we go to the conference, just tell me one little thing that I can do. Don't use the educator model. Here's how to be positive. Here's how to chunk these things with your child. Here's how to start good news reports in your home so that if your child is so dismal with the pessimism, here's how to start every day looking for one good newspaper article about a real life person. The first thing is 
give parents realistic, simple little things, but get into their shoes. They're struggling as well. Their stress level is as high, if not higher than kids, but they love their children desperately. They want to make a difference on their lives. We got to tell them resilience is not locked into DNA. It's not locked into uh, your child's temperament. You can make a difference and it doesn't have to be tonight. This is your end parenting plan is for your child finally to leave home with able to say, I got this mom. Oh, what a moment. But that's what we got to do. We've got to give them the tools. Maybe it's on your website. It's one simple tip a week. That's so simple. Uh, maybe it's starting a book club, a Thrivers book club. They're popping up. I'd be happy to join in any book club with a group of parents, but we've got to give them new tools because they, at this point, they're at their end level and they're struggling. Let's help them. That's great advice. And I think that is really what we're seeing in the kids. They're mirroring what they're feeling from their parents. Mm -hmm. Those emotions are so contagious. And I do think schools are working really hard to try to engage parents right now, particularly at a time where it's not as easy to get them into the building. They don't feel as connected to the community. We had parents back here the last couple of nights for the first time in a couple of years and they got to come in, go into their child's classroom, we're K-8. So the other night I could hear the third grade parents, they were losing their minds. They were so joyous in the Aww. third grade classroom. I could hear them all the way upstairs. They were just so happy to be together, to have that moment of normalcy and connectedness. And I think that might be just something for educators to keep in mind that parents are hungry for those connections, not only with the school, but with one another and anything that we can do to foster that is going to help them. And then by extension, help their kids, which is why book clubs are so wonderful. And that's a generous offer yeah. Michelle, that you're making to oh. jump in on a, on a book club, famous last words. You may regret offering that. <laughs> No, I, I would love to help any way, shape and form. And I think the other thing is we've got to get into the shoes of the parent. One of the most brilliant things I've seen educators do is just send at this point a mass email. Uh, but the mass email is sounds like it's personalized to each parent, but I care so much about your child. Is there one thing that I need to know that's happening to you or your family that would help me be able to connect more. Oh, parents told me that they cried when they got those notes. It really helped me know how much that teacher cares. She didn't know that grandma had passed away or they were losing our business or who heavens knows what's happening. And children aren't gonna come up and tell you, but their behavior does. So something's going on, let's reach out. And it could be nothing more than a little email every once in a while. So I think that's a great place to, to stop today and close. You know, what can you do as a teacher? You can, you know, solicit. You know, we talk about student voice a lot, voice choice and building toward agency as we started. You know, how do we tap parent voice? And, um, you know, how many of our teachers have asked that specific question that you just said? Um, what is something going on or has gone on and has happened during this pandemic that really is affecting your child? If we had that intel on a day-to-day -day basis, would we do this? Would we say this? Would we, you know, provide this opportunity? So, uh, Dr. Borba, always a pleasure, always learn and, and I'm inspired by you. So thank you for taking some time to uh, talk to all the middle school educators out there today. Really oh, appreciate you. You yes, are thanks. so welcome, Joe. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you. Thanks for coming. And before we sign off, uh, Michelle, could you just share where our listeners can find your books, your website, your Twitter oh. account, all of that? Just Michelle, Google Borba. Yeah, I mean, it's, wow. all, it's all right there. 
You just have to know I'm a 1L girl. 1L Michelle and Borba Rhymes with Zorba. Uh, Thrivers is coming out in paperback March 2nd. Yahoo. So there you go. Amazon in digital audio form as well as paperback. Let's do it. Let's make a difference. And that's how we do one child at a time. Thanks so much. <laughs>